Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the second season of SpongeBob SquarePants. I, like many Americans, was glued to the news uh, cycle yesterday on January 6th with everything that was going on. And man, I, I am very lucky to be getting this episode out because I lost so much time on research for this episode that it was like, I, I might just have to put out an emergency little, you know, five minute video or or episode just explaining the the delay. And uh, I got my stuff together today and was able to, to put together our episode uh, so so we all could use a big distraction once in a while from some of the stuff that's going out in the world. So if you're listening to this right now, I appreciate you wherever you are in the world that you chose this show to give you some sort of uh, distraction from the world or whatever's going on near you or in your life. So uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, one thing this week I think is is really noteworthy is the NFL teaming up with Nickelodeon and CBS to bring uh, the Bears and Saints wildcard game on January 10th on Nickelodeon. Now, what's big about this is it's not just going to be the straight football game, as, as far as I know. There's going to be a lot of visual distractions on the screen, a lot of digital slime, things going on, a more kid-friendly broadcast of the NFL game. And I think that's incredibly smart for the NFL to kind of partner with Nickelodeon on this because how are you going to get, how do you always get younger fans? I mean, getting younger fans is important because then they'll grow with your brand. They'll follow their team from the time they're a, they're a toddler all the way till they're an adult, sometimes change teams in that time. But this is a, this is a big moment that could work. Could we see future NFL games uh, airing live on Nickelodeon with, you know, some kid-friendly aesthetics. And uh, and I they have a completely different uh, commentating team as well. So January 10th, even if you don't watch football, I would at least tune in, give Nickelodeon a good ratings boost, talk about it on Twitter, because I, I think it's important to introduce sports to kids at a young age. And this is such a, a, a smart way for, for this to happen. So I hope it works out in the long run. We will also get a preview of Camp Coral uh, during the broadcast at some point, which <laughs> the animation on the commercial did not uh, impress really anybody. Although somebody who worked on the show came out and said that that what was aired on the commercial was kind of unfinished. So I I hope it is. But uh if if that's any reason to tune into the to the game just to just to catch that glimpse of that show just to see what it's it's going to try to capture i'm at least intrigued to see how the the broadcast of this nfl game goes down on nickelodeon so i know what i'll be watching on sunday uh but before we can go to the future we got to visit the past so let's go back and look at this week in nickelodeon history nick 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 nickelodeon I could I could never get sick of listening to that theme song. I don't know about any of you, but it will always 
is ringing in my ears. Uh, we're going past the 90s today because 38 years ago, on January 8th, 1983, The Third Eye debuted on Nickelodeon. Now, at the time, Nickelodeon did not have original programming, so all of their programming had to be acquired elsewhere. The Third Eye was made up of several science fiction series from the United Kingdom and New Zealand that aired on Nickelodeon. So the series within Third Eye were The Haunting of Cassie Palmer, Under the Mountain, Children of the Stones, Into the Labyrinth, and The Witches and the Grinnygog. Uh, looking at all of these, they're all completely separate from each other, other than apparently all of these shows have to do with characters that have some sort of psychic abilities. For example, The Haunting of Cassie Palmer was only six episodes long and was made in 1982. So they, they just put all these shows together that were somewhat um, related, you know, and, and just aired it under the third eye on Nickelodeon. So I, I would say it's it's probably worth checking out if you like uh, any sort of science fiction, all of these different series within the third eye seem pretty small in terms of their episode count. So you could probably get through all of them within a day. But before you go off and look up Third Eye episodes, let's get through this episode. 29 years ago this week, on January 4th, 1992, Nick Arcade debuted on Nickelodeon. Uh, Nick Arcade is by far one of my favorite game shows that Nickelodeon has ever aired. And, uh, of course, because anything video game related in the 90s, I was completely into. But in doing research for this, I was absolutely shocked at the... Uh, at the amount of episodes there were and how little it aired on Nickelodeon. It pretty much had two seasons, 84 episodes, and aired completely within 1992. Its last episode was on November 6th, 1992, which we'll probably talk about later this year when we get to November. Um, I, I used to just... I remember bits and pieces of the show, and I remember one thing specifically about it. Uh, but we're going to go through step-by-step step on how this game show worked. So, the show was hosted by Phil Moore and would consist of two teams of two kids each. Uh, at the beginning of the game, at the beginning of each round, there would be a face-off between one contestant from each team. The face-off was uh, played within games that were specifically designed for the show. So these were not games that you can purchase. They were made for Nick Arcade, and it would be kind of one-on-one. So they would play against each other, and then, of course, uh, whoever would, would win would get 25 points in the first round or 50 points in the second round for their team. Uh, if the face-off ended in a tie, a toss-up question was asked. Uh, the team that won the face-off also gained control of the of the mascot of the show, Mikey the Video Adventurer. Mikey is a virtual cartoon character, video game character that played on this massive board um, that had different things going on. And there were so many different types of board that Mikey could be in. There was a pirate one. There was a space one, a Western one, a, a haunted one. There was just it was just so fun to watch. And kids, the each team would take turns moving Mikey across the board, answering various questions and earning points. And uh, there were different things that would happen, different uh, video puzzles and pop quizzes and prizes and um, that, that you could find while moving Mikey space to space. My absolute favorite part, and the one thing that I constantly remember about this show, is the video challenge. Uh, one of the contestants from the team would choose one of five video games that they would have on the side of the stage to play. Um, I actually pulled up a list of video games uh, that were on the sh on the show. There was a lot of them, but 
my favorite episodes are the ones that included my favorite video game of all time, Sonic the Hedgehog. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, one of the video challenges could be Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, when you would get over, there would be a wizard's challenge and was eventually changed to the expert's challenge in season two. Um, and they would usually have 30 seconds to get this challenge done. So depending on the game they chose out of the five that were available, and I believe each episode have a, had a completely different set of five, although I remember seeing Sonic and Sonic 2 a few times uh, throughout uh, many episodes of the show. Uh, so 30 seconds, they were given a, a goal, and using a Magna Doodle board, the other member would basically put up points to to wager against. So, look, man, if I have 500 points and we're going to Sonic the Hedgehog and Phil's like, you gotta get, like, 5,000 points in 30 seconds, I would look at the person next to me and go, bet it all. Bet every point we have, we're gonna pass this. Um what was incredibly challenging is just like watching kids trying to uh, finish the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. You're you're more or less find yourself yelling at the screen going like, are you serious? How could you miss that? What is going on here? Uh, there was a lot of that as a kid. I was a fairly cocky Sonic the Hedgehog player. So, um, but that wasn't the main part of the game. That was just kind of a fun part to show off, I think, various video games. Ultimately, whoever won would then get to enter the video zone. And I'm talking the ultimate uh, the ultimate win, not just of the video challenge. That would just get you points. Uh, but the team with the most points at the end would get to enter the video zone, which was a live-action video game. It was done with blue screen, so um, you, the viewer, would look at this and see a live-action kid running through a digital game, kind of like a kind of like Legends of the Hidden Temple. They would have to jump and and not get hit with stuff and. I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of fun, but I was definitely more interested to watch these kids play video games. It was kind of like an early version of uh, of Let's Play. Like, I was just so into video games, I wanted to watch a show about video games and watch kids play video games and then yell at them from the screen for them being terrible at Song of the Hedgehog. Uh, it's the same thing I did watching Legends of the Hidden Temple. Having kids mess up the shrine of the silver monkey so much it's like do you kids not watch the show do you know how this is not how this is done what is wrong with you but uh anyway i i was reading i was really like upset to see that phil moore has has really not done too much but the one thing that really caught my eye is apparently he is the host and announcer of the traveling version of let's make a deal which i absolutely after reading that want to attend specifically to meet phil moore because, uh, you know, Nickelodeon. I want to meet anybody who worked on Nickelodeon of, of stuff when I was a kid. Uh, but out of the 90s, we are going 16 years ago on January 9th, 2005. Zoe 101 debuted on Nickelodeon. Zoe 101 was a vehicle for Britney Spears' younger sister, Jamie Lynn Spears, who had just previously worked with Dan Schneider on all that. So after a run on all that, she was given her own show, Zoe 101, in which she played a character named Zoe Brooks, who was attending Pacific Coast Academy, a school that was boys only up until her first year attending, where, where she and a whole new slew of uh, female students were allowed into this initially boys only school. Uh, Zoe 101 was a comedy, but also dealt um, with a lot of drama as well, and it was probably um, the first time I really watched one of these shows that... Um, wasn't just, you know, episodic, episode to episode like Drake and Josh. It, it dealt with issues and carried 
continuity from episode to episode. Um, I enjoyed the show for the most part, but certainly fell off the wagon at some point during the third season and um, kind of slightly paid attention to it. I, I think one of the biggest things out of this show is, of course, uh, the rise of Victoria Justice, who joined the show in season two as the character Lola Martinez, stayed with the show until its end, and then, of course, went on to her own show, Victorious, which which I absolutely adore. Um, now, there have been uh, rumors of Zoe 101 continuing on. Uh, it was a very popular show uh, of its time and, and ended in season four. There were always these rumors that the show abruptly ended because of Jamie Lynn Spears's pregnancy. She she was pregnant at a very young age. Um, she has since come out and just said, hey, the fourth season was just the last one we finished up. That was it. Um, and they've since kept talking about a, a revival of the series of some sort. Now, on September 18th, 2015, there was a 10th anniversary uh, a little clip that Dan Schneider put together about two of the characters meeting up, uh, Chase and his friend Michael, who were kind of tying a loose end of sorts with the show, in which uh, the season two episode Time Capsule dealt with uh, different characters putting in uh, an item of the time and that this time capsule, I think was the plan was for it to open up in 10 years or might have been 100. Uh, but either way, there was this little short that was aired on the 10th anniversary of, of the episode time capsule. And it kind of left a cliffhanger ending in which uh, Chase and Zoe were together and then they weren't. And now Chase found out from her video that she put in the time capsule that she knew Chase liked him and then he ran off. I didn't understand it because as far as I knew when the show ended, they were a couple. So they ended up together. They broke up uh, at the beginning of this little short. Chase is um, uh, tr trying to propose to his current girlfriend. And uh, basically, Michael barges in and just tells him, hey, I dug up that time capsule and I watched the video and Zoe says she loves you. And it's like and Chase runs off like I got to go find her. But it's like Did, you, you guys were together. You guys were a couple and you broke up. I I don't know, but uh, it was a nice little short. And I would see if, if the show was going to return in some semblance. I know that the cast got together on all that in 2019 um, and, and their episode aired in 2020. But I, I don't know. I, I would like to see how this show could return or what they could do. How do you put these group of characters that were all together at a school now adults? How do you get them back together? Do you do a college thing? I don't understand, but uh, but yeah, Zoe Zoe 101, absolutely big show. And we go from a big show to an unfortunate, uh, not as big show. 14 years ago, Just Jordan aired on January 7th, 2007. Um, this show was really unfortunate because as I was looking into it, it was a show that uh, that fell effect to the 20, 2007 to 2008 writer's strike. Um, which ultimately made Nickelodeon cancel this show. It lasted two seasons, 29 episodes. Apparently, the third season was being worked on. There was three episodes made of the third season, but because of the of the writer's strike, those episodes produced were just kind of added to season two, and then that was the end of the show. Uh, it starred Jordan James Lewis, who uh, is a rapper known these days. I think it's Lil JJ, um, but it's still, I, I don't, personally remember this show i remember seeing the logo i don't think i ever watched it um but you can still catch little jj who apparently uh, is still on while and out episodes 
Um, so that that's good that he's he's still able to get some work. But when I read that, I saw that the writer strike happened, and I was like, oh man, that's that's terrible. I remember that happening. Um, and kind of the weird little pseudo small projects that would come out of studios without really any writers. One of my favorites being Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. If you've never seen that, please do yourself a favor and go watch Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Definitely the best thing to come out of that writer's strike. But that's this week in Nickelodeon history. And before we get into our SpongeBob episode, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy. 2,000 years later. Welcome back. This week's episode is Big Pink Loser, the first half of the 23rd episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, we've had episodes of the show that gave Patrick more of a focus than just being SpongeBob sidekick, but this is really his his big moment, his first big episode that literally everybody remembers for for one scene or another this is absolutely one of the most memorable episodes in in spongebob history um and if you want to watch along i'm actually going to start right now at the uh, at the intro so you can quickly start it and catch up um but you know patrick up to this point has been kind of juggled around on on his role now he's always been spongebob's best friend uh but there have been times at the beginning of the entire series where Patrick was a bit more smart, was a bit more helpful, uh, even when he was being dumb. He came off to SpongeBob as a good person for advice to go to. And of course, as the series has gone on over the years, Patrick's role of, of that kind of advice person has gone down and gone down and gone down, and he has just become uh, more and more insufferable in his intelligence. Uh, but this episode... Uh, really addressed Patrick's true usefulness in the world of Bikini Bottom. Um, and of course, for those that have seen this episode, knows exactly uh, where that usefulness comes from. But for, for Patrick, this is one of my favorite episodes. Like, if you made me list out top five Patrick episodes, this probably would be number one. Um but we do have to mention this is the final episode of the series where we have uh, Patrick's M-shaped eyebrows. Uh, now, they, they appeared one other time in uh, in season two. But, yeah, this is the last time we will get the, the M-shaped eyebrows there. Um, the entirety of this episode centers around accomplishment. That, that's the one word I would I would put with it is accomplishment. Uh, Patrick 
thinks he gets an award from the mailman very early on here. Um, SpongeBob being a super supportive friend, super happy, then sees that the, the, the trophy was actually meant for SpongeBob, who lets it known that he not only has one or two or three trophies, but literally has a closet full of trophies, full of accomplishments where Patrick has never received a trophy before. I don't know how these work in the underwater world because it just seems like uh, uh, these trophies just get mailed out to people for some reason. Like, I don't know how it happens, but um, they somehow even eventually send Patrick an award. Like, it's nothing you have to apply for. You're just sitting around and you just get sent an award for something. I get, I, look, I would love to receive an award even if it was kind of insulting. Uh, if somebody just mailed me something that was like worst beard in town, uh, I cool. I think that's wrong, but cool. I got a word for this. I must, somebody must think I have a worst beard in town. Um, but I, I really, you're really rooting for Patrick throughout this entire episode to, to find his niche, to find what he's good at. And this really also shows off the, the friendship of SpongeBob because it's his mission to try to find something that Patrick can be good at, even getting him a job at the Krusty Krab. Uh, here we have uh, SpongeBob changing his size down. And when he changes his size, he's actually voiced by Steve Blum. For those that don't know that name, uh, Steve Blum actually has the Guinness World Record for having the most video game voice acting credits which is pretty incredible. Uh, Steve Blum is also known for playing Spike Spiegel on Cowboy Bebop. He played uh, Tom on Toonami for its entire run, as far as I know. I think there was a, a lapse there uh, in him voicing Tom. He has voiced Wolverine on countless cartoons and video games uh, and is overall got a massive library of voice acting that he's done, including SpongeBob SquarePants as Tiny SpongeBob, which is just really funny, uh, especially when I was like looking into his, you know, his Wikipedia and his filmography and everything he's done, because I've known some of the stuff he's done, uh, but I didn't know until researching this episode that he voiced Tiny SpongeBob, uh, but it wasn't even listed on there. So I don't know if he's even credited in the credits as as voicing it, but uh, that, that's really funny that they got him in here. Um, but I, I think it's just super nice of SpongeBob to get his friend a job at the Krusty Krab. Um, and I love the fact that the second Squidward, it's like, all right, if SpongeBob's working there, okay, Squidward's fine. The second Patrick has a job, Squidward just up and quits. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. And the fact that Patrick keeps eating the food before it gets to the customer, I absolutely love it. And one of my favorite jokes in this is when SpongeBob's like, no, no, you have to at least get, you have to get it to the table for the customer. And, Sp and Patrick sits down next to the guy and just eats his food right in front of him. It's one of my favorite Patrick moments. But of course, we can't go past this episode without uh, probably one of the like top jokes ever in SpongeBob history. Like this is one of the most quoted jokes in which every person calling the Krusty Krab, who seems weird that, you know, when Patrick picks up the phone, everybody's like, is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. And then him getting incredibly angry. I'm not a crusty crab. Like, I I have heard so many people in my life for years since this episode came out. Uh, if you're asked anything of, of like, hey, is this blank? The response is always, no, this is Patrick. Like, 
it, it's just one of the biggest SpongeBob jokes of all time, and it came straight from this episode. There, there's a lot. There's a few jokes in this specific episode that have just transcended SpongeBob themselves, and it's just memed and and whatnot. Um, it, it's just incredible, like going back and watching these moments now, just. 20, 30, and I guarantee you 50 years after it aired, there'll still be people out there in the world going, no, this is Patrick. I can't wait. Like, those are the kind of quotes that I think about if I'm ever in a nursing home. I, I'm just going to be so annoying and quote SpongeBob all the time. And, uh, you know, like a nurse comes in the room. Uh, Mr. Cormier, no, this is Patrick. Okay, Mr. Cormier, we're going to have to give you your sedation for the day. Um now, uh, of course, we, we have SpongeBob trying his darndest to give Patrick some sort of semblance of accomplishment, um, starting as small as getting a lid off of a jar. One of, once again, one of this show, this episode's hallmarks, uh, one of the well most well-known jokes of the entire series, multiple ones in this episode. Um, I don't necessarily understand how opening a jar would eventually get you an award. Um, but with the amount of awards SpongeBob has received, I have to imagine there has to be a, a jar opening award somewhere in that pile. Um, he, he seems to receive them for almost no reason or, or any reason possible. Uh, so it's, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, I love Patrick's, um, uh, what's it called spike of the of the jar and that it doesn't break on the ground it just breaks through the crusty crab's floor uh just one of those visual gags i've always loved about this episode and i never see anybody talk about it so i feel like it's underrated um because it's it's sitting right next to know this is patrick and the lid joke uh and, and everything about this now patrick then gets he, he accomplishes something he opens the jar and now he his his mission now is to basically copy SpongeBob in every way possible, which is kind of smart. And with the amount of awards being thrown out in Bikini Bottom, I think you could have given Patrick another award here for uh, best SpongeBob impersonation, because for the most part, he seems to really copy SpongeBob uh, in a, in a lot of ways that that have to be mentioned. Um, of course, running to work and saying I'm ready is nothing impressive. But uh, once we get into the Krusty Krab, we, we see some impressive moments. Um, just <laughs> I, I the fact that we don't get a Mr. Krab scene with Patrick here, like um, at, at all in the Krusty Krab, I always bothered me. Like I always wanted to know, like, did how did this get approved? Is Patrick getting paid to work for the Krusty Krab? Um, he's, he's really causing a lot of problems. He's customers are running out because of the dust he's throwing. He's eating their food. He's leaving water on the ground, which is weird because they're underwater. Although I don't know what else they're mopping with. Um, but so we, we see here SpongeBob and Patrick on the grill together. Um, and SpongeBob finally realizing that Patrick's going to copy him in, in every way, shape or form. I, I love the whole the the hand bit on the on the stove it's 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 one of my favorites um if somebody's going to copy you yeah you put your hand on a hot surface just to see if they're willing going to do it and I, patrick to his credit copied spongebob and put his hand on the grill um this was the first episode that jay lender was a storyboard director for instead of just a storyboard artist 
which is a, is a big deal. It must be. It must have been really, really big for him to be uh, upgraded to the storyboard director, just instead of being just the artist. Um, I I love the whole copying heel copying here. Sea Weevil, Yorgi Schmorgies, the I'm safe inside my mind is a is a good bit, and the fact that SpongeBob is able to somehow hear Patrick proclaiming that he's safe inside his mind, uh, and then they just up and leave work, which. Of course, give Squidward the the end to just go right back into work. But is Mr. Krabs just not around? Are these guys just able to come and go as they please? And once again, did he even sign off on Patrick working there? I don't think he would. Um, it, it's it's really it's really funny to see the uh, lengths that Patrick is going to go through to get an award. And and I think the award he eventually gets is uh, is very. Patrick in its idea and of course he earns it but look at all this effort he's putting into in really truly copying Spongebob I like I said I think he should have received a second award here uh, just for the amount of effort he's putting into to earn one uh, this is actually the second episode where Patrick gets a job at the Krusty Krab um, and then is is fired or quits. The the first one being Arg, which we watched a few episodes ago, uh, in which he was only working for the Krusty Krab for like a second. <laughs> which, hey, look, technically he still worked for the Krusty Krab for a while, so now he just got rehired. Uh, I like that he repaints his rock as, um, as SpongeBob's colors. And I, I'm like upset at him that he couldn't get a little bush for the top part so that it would look more like a pineapple. I think that would have been a, a nice aesthetic for him. Uh, SpongeBob then, of course, goes to impersonate Patrick and immediately just gets shut down by Patrick of like, who would want to be me? And SpongeBob immediately drops it. Uh, but here we have Patrick's award finally getting delivered. Uh, the laziest in Bikini Bottom and... I, I've always loved his attitude here. Uh, he is just so happy. Like, it's not a good award to to get, I would think, for most people. But he's just so happy to get it and accepts that he's the best at being lazy. I think if I, I mean, can you imagine yourself out there? If you think you're a lazy person, if your town gave you the laziest in town award, like, would you feel really good about that? I mean, I... I don't think I would. I would certainly, an award's an award, but once again, just like with the beard thing, if I just got one that was kind of negative, I'd be like, all right, that's weird. Somebody feels this way about me? Okay. But no, Patrick takes his takes his award in stride. Um, it, this is like, this is the premiere Patrick episode. I, I don't think there is a, another episode that um, shows off the character, like the best and worst traits of the character of Patrick than Big Pink Loser. It, it's really a hallmark here and and that's why I can't stress enough on the importance of these first 3 seasons and how how the quality just keeps rising and keeps rising and keeps rising and uh th this is just one of those peaks of of these first 3 seasons uh, definitely of season 2 but um in, in terms of like the entire series of SpongeBob SquarePants Big Pink Loser is easily a top 10 or even top five episode. I don't know where it would land, uh, and I still got to do my season one listing coming up this month at some point. Uh, but but yeah, you, you can't get any better than Big Pink Loser. Uh, before we end today's show, we of course got to check in on our snail mailbox. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail 
I'm, I'm still not sure if I'm calling this segment the snail mail box or the snail mail bag. Uh, I guess either way, I'm still getting the point across that we're we're reading emails. If you would like to write into the show, you can so by emailing snailmail at euphonics.com, U-F-O-N-Y-X.com. Send me in your questions. Send me in your comments. I, uh, I will read through everything. And of course, any questions I will read here live on the air and answer. Well, live for me. Uh, recorded for you. Uh, but I have one question this week from Julian from Hoboken, New Jersey. Hi, Eric. I just started listening to your show and have enjoyed the Nickelodeon history segment a ton. I've always loved Nickelodeon, but very early in my life found Cartoon Network to house the better cartoons of the two. Just wondering your thoughts on Cartoon Network as a whole and as you grew up, and why has Nickelodeon stuck with you for so long? Uh, thank you for writing in, Julian. Um, to answer your question, uh, Nickelodeon was obviously the first of the two channels that I encountered, and you could get Nickelodeon everywhere. Uh, even my grandmother, um, who just had basic cable, had Nickelodeon. So literally every house I went through as a kid, um, I was able to watch Nickelodeon. It wasn't until in the mid to late 90s that I was at my grandparents' house, and I would go and stay there pretty much most Friday nights that I found Cartoon Network. I started watch, watching the cartoon cartoons. I think Ed, Ed and Eddie was, was a new one at the time, so they were already airing Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo. Uh, I loved those cartoons, and I will cherish those cartoons, but I think the issue is they just came, they just came later in my life. Um, I, yeah, I started watching them around the time uh, SpongeBob came out, and SpongeBob has had a, such a massive effect on me. So it's not even the early stuff. But um, I, I look at that that 10-year run from 1991 to 2001 of Nicktoons. And to me as a collective, it just always... Each show, there was such a wide variety of different shows. Um, and they've just stuck with me. I don't know why. Like those characters... Uh, I was a massive Rugrats fan growing up and, and throughout the 90s and then moved right on to to Hey Arnold and SpongeBob and then uh, the Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom. Like I, I was just always uh, drawn to the Nicktoons. I love the Cartoon Network shows and they certainly had a wide variety of shows as well. You could have comedy slapstick on Ed, Ed and Eddie and then get into scary comedy with Courage the Cowardly Dog, which... For example, when it comes to shows that I, I think about watching with my dad, it comes down to two. We would watch SpongeBob together, and, and the show he really loved was Courage the Cowardly Dog. And, and of course, I like I was always interested in, in the scary and the, in the haunted, so that kind of show was right up my wheelhouse. Um, Cartoon Network, uh, I, 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 it, for me, uh, this is tough. In terms of like the cartoon cartoon era uh, and the CN City era, I cherish that. I cherish Cartoon Network. For me, if Sponge, if Nickelodeon uh, throughout the '90s right to 2001, and even including Jimmy Neutron, Danny Phantom, if that is a 10 out of 10 in my book, then that cartoon cartoon era of Cartoon Network is literally like a nine or an eight out of 10. It, it's super close. I cherish those characters just as much as I do the Nicktoons, um, but I've I've just always been drawn to those early Nicktoons. As far as currently though, 
I would lean towards more Cartoon Network than I would Nickelodeon. Uh, I, I loved watching Adventure Time. I fell in love with Chowder and Flapjack and and regular show as my favorite show, my favorite kids cartoon that I, I found as an adult. I, I adore regular show uh, and, and still do. So I would say as a kid, big Nickelodeon fan. As an adult, Cartoon Network fan. Um, I think Nickelodeon, I just haven't watched a lot of their current shows. Um, the, the, I watched, I really enjoyed the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. I really enjoyed that. Didn't really get into Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the art style and the designs just kind of turned me off from it. Uh, there, so there's a lot to unpack here with the two companies. Um, uh, but, but yeah, that, that like, there's a good solid five years for, for both that I thought both companies were at their absolute best. And I'm saying from like 98 to 2003, um, I'd like to may- maybe uh, maybe push that from 99 to 2004 just so we can include Danny Phantom. But uh, but yeah, I, it, man, both sh- both car- uh, both cartoons from each channel were really knocking it out of the park at some point. And you can't go wrong with either or if you if you preferred Cartoon Network as a kid, you you really you can win that argument. Um but yeah, so I I, I thinking about it simply stuck with Nickelodeon for so long because it was just so much more available to me until I was like eight or nine until um, my cable company in town then housed Cartoon Network. And, and then that became a part of my wheelhouse. But um, the Nickelodeon is just those characters have always been there. Tommy Pickles, Rocco, Arnold, they were they were before Johnny Bravo and Dexter for me. So uh, they'll just house a special nostalgic place in my heart for the rest of my life. Uh, but thank you, Julian, for that question. It definitely like when I saw that come up. I was like, oh, this is a good one. And, and there's still there's so much to unpack and so much to because uh, each channel like had their really good shows. They're really mass shows. And then it had their kind of like their boring shows that weren't interesting to me. Uh, I'm not going to say any of those names here because the last thing I want to do is is tell a fan of a show out there. that like, oh, I didn't really like it as much. But um, but yeah, thank you, Julian. And and this is another episode uh, of SpongePod Squarecast. Thank you to everybody who listens to this every week. Uh, thank you for joining on this journey with me. If there's any way that you can support the show, uh, give us a shout out on Twitter, give us a shout out on Instagram, Facebook, social media, YouTube, however you see fit, as long as you can do something to help the show out, it is much appreciated from the captain. So thank you for joining us on this week, and we'll see you here next time. Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in spongepod.com 
inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy.